You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Okay, John, it reads this way. But the people of Israel, remember, they, remember in chapter 6 it ended with, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Adam, or for Achan, the son of Carmi, son of, all oh, these words, son of the Z word, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethhaven, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua. And said to him, <clears throat> Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about thirty-six of their men, and chased them before the gate as far as Jabarim, and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of, of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan? O Lord, what can I say? When Israel has turned their backs before their enemies, for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, <clears throat> you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the households that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. <clears throat> so Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near the tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken, and he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken, and he brought near the clan of the Zerahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel, and they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the cloak, 
and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones, and they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, I thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that... Uh, the New Testament says that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And that it's able to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. So, Father, we ask for that today. We ask for that uh, glory that comes from your word, that teaching, that understanding, that it be real, and that we face this, Father, this truth about who you are and sometimes how you handle things. So we want to give this time to you. Lord, send your spirit, we pray today, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for bearing with me on that long, long chapter. Just in reading it, it's almost a sermon in itself. And as you can tell, and as you read it, and as we read it together, I'm sure things inside of you began to say, wow, you know, God was sick. <laughs> you know, there are times when that does happen. There's a, the, first, the first point of this is the title that I've chosen for this is Snatching Defeat from the Jaws of Victory. They had just come off of an amazing victory. Not that they did, the victory that God did. Joe reminded us of that last week. Not a single one was taken. The battle was not really a battle. It was God's doing, right? God did it. And all Joshua had to do was do what God told him to do. By obedience, and by trusting in him, he did that, and the nation succeeded. It ended on a beautiful high, high note. But verse, chapter 7 begins with the word but. <laughs> Whenever you see the word but, it's like, uh-oh, something's coming that's not good. And right from the very beginning, Joshua, the writer of this book, puts <clears throat> the narrative title right at the beginning in verse 1. He says that, but the people of Israel, the whole nation, broke faith with, in regard to the devoted things. I love that, the way they describe that. For Achan, the son of Carmi, took some of the devoted things, and what was the result? The anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel, not just against Achan. And so the narrative starts with the problem. The problem is there's sin now in the camp, and there's sin among the people, and all Israel is under the influence of this, not just Achan. Now, I don't know how we fully understand that, but this is what God's trying to tell us. When that sort of thing happens, the entire company of people, the entire nation, the brand new nation of Israel, they haven't even settled in their land yet. <clears throat> and God is mad. <laughs> Has God ever been mad at you? I, I think he's been mad at me a few times. <laughs> but the but tells us that something is coming. It sets up a situation which, which is rest, in the rest of the chapter explains that situation. Israel broke faith with regard to the devoted things. Remember in chapter 6, what, did, what were they to do with all that stuff? What were they to do with the gold and the bronze and the iron and the silver? Hmm? Well, some of it they were to take to, to give to the Lord. Right? The Lord said, those are mine. He's the one that won the battle, right? They didn't. And so it's such a simple thing. God doesn't need all that stuff. He doesn't need any of it. But remember where they were. To the victor goes the spoils. The, the name of Achan's name means, I mean, who would ever name their kid this? But Nathan's, or Achan's name means trouble. So, hi, Trouble, how you doing? What a name to carry through life, to have that kind of remembrance. I don't know what happened to him after he died. I'm not even going to pretend to know where Achan's soul went. There's no 
There's no follow-up. But it's what he did that affected the entire nation before God. So right here, right in verse 1, the, the main character of this play pops up, and that's Achan. Because he stole devoted things. Devoted things, it's, I don't know what your version says or what any other version says, but devoted things would be those things that are set apart, for some reason set apart for God, because that's what he wants, that's what he desires. He doesn't need them, but we need to obey and do what he tells us to do. Achan didn't do that. Plus, when you think about it, what were the cultures like that I don't think you and I have any comprehension whatsoever? Living in the country that we do, all the problems that we have, and all the evil that does take place, and all the rest of it around us, we see bad things happening around the world, but nothing, I can't describe for you in any manner to give you an understanding of how awful and how corrupt and how, de- how evil the Canaanites were, or the, the nations around them that they had to defeat in battle. Nations that sacrificed children, nations that had sexual corruption beyond what you could ever imagine. Death, demonic powers, all the rest of it, that could have been even in the things that they came across when they went to Jericho and defeated, or they didn't defeat, when God leveled leveled the city, it was because he had had enough. And the cry of his people had reached his nostrils. That culture, if you read in Romans chapter 1, there's a point at which God says, I give them over to their own lust to their own evil desires. That's how corrupt this land was. That's how corrupt others will be in their fight for this land. They will be coming up against those that you cannot write a paragraph long enough to describe how awful it was. And so this serious event of taking things that were in Jericho and hiding them for your own, for his own whatever, I mean, those are attractive things. Those are things that are worth something. But what they carry with them is a message, and that message is if if we allow, Israel should have known this, if they allow that kind of stuff to come into their land, to come into their culture, they will be ruined. It will destroy them. So, nothing, nothing, should have crept into that nation, especially at that early part when they're really, truly only, what, basically 40 years old. Not very old. We're not the oldest country. We're, we're, we're older than 40 years. And so, I want you to take a journey. I want to take an aside for just a minute. Because what they did, when it says that the people of Israel broke faith, it meant that they broke covenant with God. Now, if you take, they just came out of the wilderness, and who was leading them in the wilderness? Moses, right? Moses was not able to cross. He died before they did that. A perfect picture of the laws and the rules that were set down by him, the Ten Commandments and all the Levitical laws, all the the, um, traveling tabernacle, all the things that were going on in the wilderness where they followed rules and regulations and pictures of what God was doing for them. Still, you have to go further back to what covenant they were under. And that covenant was the Abrahamic covenant. If you go back to Genesis chapter 12, you don't need to turn there. Let me just read it to you. So this was like, according to Paul in the New Testament, this was like 400 and some years before Moses, when Abraham was called out of the era of Chaldees. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then he talks to him again in chapter 15. He said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, Abram said. And he's not, he's not called Abraham, by the way, here yet. 
he's called Abram, because after he becomes the father of many, then you add that to the end of his name, he becomes Abraham, the father of multitudes. Behold, you have given me an offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven. Look at the number of stars. If you are able to number them, so shall your offspring be. And he believed God. He believed the Lord. And you, you know this verse. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul picks that covenant that began that long ago, 430 years before Moses. Moses' law, Moses' writings did not take the place of Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is still in effect today because it, Paul takes it and picks it up in the New Testament and talks about how did the Mosaic law take the place of the covenant that was promised to Abraham. The covenant to Abraham was a promise, and those promises are still in effect. And Paul says, no, the law did not replace the covenant. The law was put alongside the covenant. Why? He says, it was because of transgressions. In other words, the law points you and me to sin. It tells us what sin is in very real words. Paul says, I wouldn't know not to covet if someone didn't tell me, don't covet. Ten commandments are full of thou shalt not, and a couple thou shalt. But the, the law itself, by the time Jesus came, had taken over and was controlling. And the Abrahamic covenant was sort of like put aside. And Paul says, don't do that. So what these people did, put yourself back for a second into this time. You're, you're standing in the rubble of Jericho. It's flattened. There's nothing left. God had demanded, as Joe preached last week, God had demanded the destruction of everything except for those things that he wanted. <clears throat> and what brought them to that place? What brought those people to where they were right there in Jericho thousands of years ago? What brought them there was the promise that God gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 and 12. And so his covenant with them, that's what they broke. Sure, they broke laws of Moses. They broke, stealing was wrong, obviously. Coveting is wrong, obviously. But the covenant that they broke. And the, the neat thing about the Abrahamic covenant, if you read about it, and it, after, further on in chapter 15, it tells you how God did it. He took those animals, remember, he cut them in half, put one halves over here and halves over here, and he walked right in the middle of them. Remember that? Did anybody else walk in the middle of those? No. Because if a man, Abraham or anybody else, had walked alongside of him in that, that man could, by his own actions, break that covenant. But God will not break that covenant. Therefore, it's an everlasting covenant. And they live under the promises of that covenant. It's forever. It's very important to believers to understand what is... God called in the Old Testament so many times. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses isn't kind of mentioned in that trio, but Moses is important. But the Abrahamic covenant, the promises that God has given to his people, including those that were grafted in later. What did Paul say about the Abrahamic covenant? It's for Jews, obviously. But what does he say in, <clears throat> in the New Testament? He says, we... As Gentiles, there's only two types of people in the world. Either you're a Jew or you're a Gentile. There's, there's no choice otherwise. So how do we become partakers of what God promised to Abraham too? How do we get to be part of that? And Paul says you were grafted in, like you graft a branch onto a tree, and you become part of that promise as Gentiles as well as Jews. And that's the ultimate, Paul says, I will bless your offspring, is what Abraham was told. But Paul says that offspring, ultimately, was Jesus. And that's the beauty of the Abrahamic covenant. So you put yourself in this time, 
right back when things look pretty darn good for Israel right now. Their first victory, their first their first thing that, that just gives them the real sense that while wow, God is really with us, He's never going to leave us. This is awesome. The covenant is, is wonderful. But then they get to this chapter here, and all Israel, <clears throat> for, a, for a time, puts that aside. How do they keep this offspring pure? How do they do it? God has to miraculously, somehow, through the tiny nation of Israel, bring about the fulfillment and create, or the fulfillment and understanding of the Abrahamic covenant. He does it through a very small group of people. And this passage tells us how important that is to him. And we have to constantly look to the character of God when we see him doing what he's doing in this passage. We have to look to him as what is he trying to accomplish? And what did he accomplish? He obviously, he did accomplish something great in this chapter. But anyway, I digress. The Mosaic law was temporary. The covenant is not. Law reveals sin. They were always, you know, from the fall of Genesis, they were, we already understood what it meant to be a sinner. We were fallen creatures. But there's something about, I remember as a kid, uh, theaters were pretty puny when I was little, and the screen was not super huge. But we thought, wow, coming from television, little tiny screen at home, coming to this big screen in the theater, that was awesome. But then in the 60s, they came out with, in Seattle, they came out with one they called Cinerama. And you went to the Cinerama, and you, when you sat down, all of a sudden the curtains opened and the screen went all the way, not just in the front, went all the way around to the, on your side. And so when you had this unbelievable, like I think we were watching the Ten Commandments, come to think of it, and it was absolutely unbelievable when you were surrounded by that color and that movie from all sides. The same goes for this understanding of sin. The law came to enhance, to show us in a bigger picture, what really sin was. And these people fell right into it. And before we point any fingers, you and I have fallen in that same pit. I guarantee it. <clears throat> the defeat. Jericho was a snap. This one should be even easier. There was overconfidence. There was complacency. Have we ever been in those shoes? I think we have. Verse 5 said, The heart of the people melted. Where did we hear that before? In Joshua chapter 2. Rahab said, when they heard about you passing over the Red Sea, talking to the spies, when, you, when they heard about the kings that you defeated and where you were, the news came to us. And what was the result? Our hearts melted. With, melted with fear because of the power that was marching toward them. Now Israel gets to, gets to experience the exact same thing. What was meant for their enemies, to have their hearts melt with fear, now it was on their own, in their own camp, in their own nation, their hearts melted with fear because they had been defeated in one of their first battles. It's, it's so human, I guess. I don't know how else to put it. The shoe is on the other foot. And they were experiencing some real pain. The second point is the unrepentant response of despair is in 6 through 9. This is when Joshua tears his clothes. He doesn't even know, even at this point, he does not know why repentance is even needed. He doesn't know what Achan has done at this point. He, he tears his clothes and he falls, on the, on, falls to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads, and all this says, Alas, O Lord. You know what happens when Joshua is, I mean, I've always thought of Joshua, and I'm sure you have, is a mighty general, mighty leader, one who took over from a great leader, Moses, and was marching through Joshua at the Battle of Jericho. Well, Joshua didn't. God did it. But he was a great general. He's a great leader. And what did he do? He began to ask questions. He asked questions like you and I might ask in times like that. This, why did this happen? We'd be better off back where we were. <laughs> Can you imagine? They haven't even been in the land yet for, I don't know, not very long. Oh, we should never have crossed the river. We should have stayed there. Now we're disgraced. Our enemies will take advantage of our weakness. And they'll destroy us. 
And then he ends with, and, and you, God, what about your reputation? I thought that was pretty bold. And what will you do for your great name, he says. I don't think God needs any help with his reputation, <clears throat> but our job is to glorify him, and that means to enhance his reputation among people of the earth. Joshua said, well, what about you? What does this do to you? Just, we sent just a few men into a place that shouldn't have been a big battle at all, and we lost. 36 of our men died. That may not seem like a lot, but they hadn't lost any before. It was totally a needless loss of 36 good men because of their complacency, because of their disobedience, and because even Joshua didn't know why, but there was sin that caused this, and God had to turn his face away. One commentator puts it this way. He says, Defeat shows us that we are not strong in and of ourselves, and like Joshua, we imagine that our enemies are stronger than they are, so strong that even God will not be able to defend his name against them. That, that is good. I'm going to read that again. Defeat shows us that we are not strong in and of ourselves. And like Joshua, we imagine that our enemies are stronger than they are, so strong that even God will not be able to defend his name against them. What kind of a picture do you and I have in our minds about who God is? Right? What is he like? How important is he to me? What does he tell me about himself? What does he demand of me as the God of the universe? What is my understanding of not, not only what is he going to do with me today, but what is he going to do with me tomorrow? What is my future? Am I like Joshua and say, why did I even bother to do this in the first place? Look, we lost a simple little battle. Uh, but it's not God's reputation that's on the line. It's not his character that's on the line. It's ours. Ours is always, as creation of his, subservient to who he is. And there comes a time when we say, I may not totally understand all that you're doing. I may not even understand totally what I read in the morning when I study your word. But I come to the point where I say, it's okay. I don't need to know something. I am not God. And neither are you. We are not sometimes what we pretend to be. But God, is <laughs> I remember what brought us here to Nebraska. Um, we've been here almost 20 years. And I was working for a company back in Portland, Oregon. We lived in Washington. And <clears throat> I was in charge of sales on the West Coast. And our company, which was headquartered right here in Hastings, our company sold to somebody else. And so the, everything was just going along just perfect. It was just great. I loved my job. It was fine. We were doing well. And all of a sudden, somebody comes in. One of the competitors that I had worked against for years comes in and bought our company. And now I thought, well, I went home to Eileen. And I said, I don't, I don't know why they would need us, why they would need me. They have their own staff. They have their own people. So there was this kind of this fear in the camp in our office in Portland, like what in the world's going to happen when this company takes over? <clears throat> President Day called me and said, we have a territory in the Midwest that needs help. Would you go to Nebraska? I said, you're not serious. <laughs> My relatives live in Iowa. That's the only time I've ever been in the Midwest. I said, I've never been, I've never been to Nebraska up to drive through it. But what do you want me to do there? Well, there's, there's a plant there. There's one of the plants that these, this company bought. They knew nothing about it. And I want, would you go just kind of test the waters and see if that's something you might want to do? And so I said, okay, well, I'll, so in, in 1999, in, the, in November of 99, I came out here by myself and began to kind of survey the thing. So by March 1, we were living here. <laughs> we moved here, and it was the greatest move we ever made. So it was like that fear that we have sometimes where God is about to do something 
that we did not have on our agenda at all. When he relieves that fear and when he shows you exactly what it is he wants you to do, then that, in, in my mind, is a miracle. So what could have turned out to be, in my mind, a defeat where we would have had to start all over again and find another position, it was enhanced instead and, and was a better position and was a great place to live. So I, I do like the rest. But like Joshua, I, I imagine that sometimes my enemies are stronger than they really are. And that can God really, is he really able to defend his name against those that would come against me? Hopefully we would say yes, he was. Joshua came to him and he didn't have the right words. He didn't have this, this kind of, of reaction to what, what God had done was probably not the best reaction. It was a human reaction. It was one that you and I probably would, would emit ourselves. But he came to, at least he came to God and said, why, what am I supposed to do? So even though the words may not have been exactly right, he was right to come to God with his problem in the first place. And then God began with that to make things right. And this is where the story gets really interesting. Because 10 through 21, a lot of verses, as we read through it, it was a lot of description, a lot of narrative, but it's the unending promise for godly, correct, godly correction. The unending promise for godly correction. What does he say? The very first thing in, chap, in verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, what do you say? Get up. Get up. Get off your knees. You've got something to do. Israel has sinned. And I it has to be fixed. Keeping those things, you know, keeping those things that Achan chose to keep, put them under the, that put Israel under the exact same destructive atmosphere that was meant for their enemy. You get that? He put the entire nation under the same destruction that was meant for those that they were supposed to conquer. And that is a scary place to be. There comes a point where God says, as, I, as we talked about these cultures, where God says, that's enough. That's it. He, in some, how he does it, that's, that's his choice. He, he says, I give them over. I give them over to their own destruction. I give them over to their own lust, their own desires, and the results thereof. And that's exactly what happened to Jericho. But the restoration pro process is now started. There is a way out. You have to eliminate the corruption and the worldly alliance from among you. You can't let, God said to Israel, you cannot let these things creep into, and this is, was their problem for years and years and years, where they constantly let foreign things come in. They let foreign gods come in. They let idols come in. And it causes unbelievable destruction. Now, we talked about before, and we talk about it a lot here, that the gospel is something that we need to protect. Right? We need to protect and keep it. Miraculously, in 2019, 2,000 years later, the gospel is still preached. The gospel is still intact. The Gospel, Paul says, if anybody, in Galatians, if anybody wants to change the Gospel to another Gospel, which he says there is no other Gospel, but if they do, let them be accursed. That's a pretty, that's a pretty tough word. It's so important for God's truth to remain God's truth and not be so watered down, which is our tendency as humans to do, to water down the message that God has for mankind. It doesn't matter whether we're in 2019 or if we're back in the rubble of Jericho. That message is still the same. God has a, a holy and just plan that if we alter it in any way and try to change it, first of all, we won't be successful, but secondly, we will lead ourselves into destruction and we'll lead ourselves into false religion. And how he has protected that all these years, only God knows. But it's our job 
in this small town that we live in on this planet, in this great universe, to protect that which God has given to us. That was Israel's job. And they're human, like you and me. They failed often. But God still, miraculously, from the beginning of the promise to Abraham until the time Jesus was born, he accomplished something that was absolutely unachievable by anyone but himself. Jesus is the result. And Jesus will be the ultimate conclusion or fulfillment of what was promised to Abraham. And they're just a part of it right now in this little scenario. Now the correction. This is where it gets kind of dicey, okay? <clears throat> Joshua was, was to take the 12 tribes together, and then he was to pick out one of those tribes. That tribe was Judah. And then he was to pick out a clan from there. And then he was to pick out, pick out a household from there. And then he narrowed it down to Achan. And Achan, what does he do? I mean, I, I have to admire what he did. He, he confessed. He said, I saw, I coveted, I took, and I hid them. <laughs> That's pretty human, isn't it? Does that remind you of you go back a long, long, long ways to the Garden of Eden and what happened in the Garden of Eden? I saw. I coveted, I took, and I hid myself. That's what happens when sin takes over, not just an individual's part, but a community, a nation. In this case, a nation destined for glory, destined for good things. They still rooted up. But God never allowed the line to be totally cut off. You know, <clears throat> First John says this, love the world, or do no, not love the world, love not, sorry, <laughs> love not the world, nor the things in the world. That was a Freudian slip. The world is passing away, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. That verse should have been posted right over Achan's door. And what happened to him? This is what, he had, a, he had a problem with covetousness. Ten commandments, the tenth commandment is what? Thou shalt not covet. What's the eighth commandment? Thou shalt not steal. Okay. So he'd already broken two of them, so I mean, he wasn't doing very well up to that point. But the law had a good purpose at this point. What Moses had laid down for them had an excellent purpose for what was happening that day in Jericho for the nation of Israel. Because he had said, these are sins that you should never commit. These are things that mark a person as one who has broken covenant with God. These should never, ever take over in your camp. And when it does, what's God do? He has to what does he say? I can't. Until you fix it, I can't do anything with this. You've got to fix this. So Paul says, if I didn't know what it means to covet, how, how could anybody tell me not to? If, I know it's, if, if nobody tells me that it's wrong to take the name of the Lord God in vain, or to steal, or to lie, or to bear false witness against my neighbor, or to whatever. If someone doesn't tell me that, and how do I know that it's wrong? God makes it very clear. There are things that are obvious sins. And the thing that's so interesting is Achan knew exactly what he was doing. And that willful sin led him to his own destruction. I don't know. It doesn't really. It seems to indicate that his entire family was, was, was stoned. Um, I don't know. Some commentators say, well, it doesn't really mention that they were. It says that they stoned him. But then it said, then they stoned them and covered them with rocks. Well, was that the family or was that his animals? I mean, I don't know. But it, the point is, that's the uncomfortable part. That's the dicey point for you and me, is that he did that. How many of us have ever 
coveted something. How many of us have ever lied? How many of us have ever borne false witness against someone else? There are things that as believers, John says in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he's talking to believers and, and believe in our heart that what we've done is wrong. So we have the ability, but does every time, every time that we do that, are we zapped? Does God kill us? Obviously not. We're still here. But there's a good point to this story. And that is, in the beginning, just like he did in the beginning of the church, he does it in the beginning of the nation of Israel, where sin, when it begins to permeate the very, very beginning of a situation, God deals with it in a way that sometimes you don't see him dealing in other situations. And that's where I stop, and I hope you do too, that I have to acknowledge that he somehow takes that justice and somehow blends it with all the other characteristics of him and blends it into a reaction or a, an event or a punishment or a restoration, whatever it is, because he has taken the, side, the both sides of everything and put them together and done exactly the right thing. There are times when you and I deal with each other, we deal with spouses, we deal with our children, we deal with people that we work with, and there are things that come up in those situations where you and I don't always have the right answer for how to fix it. And yet, there are times when the Spirit comes so strongly and says to me and says to you, you have to fix this, and here's how you're going to do it. So Achan, I just thought it was interesting that this passage starts out what? Not that Achan sinned, it says Israel sinned. Now, figure that out in your head, I don't know. But there's a reason for that. And remember, the title of this was Snatching Defeat from the Jaws of Victory. Israel lived a life, sometimes like you and I do, where we're high on the mountaintop, and either whether we're high on the mountaintop or we're in the valley, it doesn't matter. Obedience is still required. Trust is still necessary. Without it, we either fall from up here or we're miserable down here. Obedience and trust is always, always necessary. Oop. I know I'm in, but... Just this quick application. If you remember in Acts chapter 5, in the beginning of the church, you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Remember that story? I look at that too, and I have the same discomforting feeling when I read that story about what happened to them as what happened to Achan. They lied to the Holy Spirit, right? So, okay. I don't know how many, I've probably done that, but as a... As in the beginning, again, in the very beginning of what God was trying to do, those two people, when they lied and said that they gave all their money when they didn't, they didn't have to give it at all if they didn't want to, but they said they were going to. And when they didn't, they fell dead on the spot. What does that do to you? Again, that takes you to a point, just like it does me, it takes me to a point where I have to stop and say, God, I understand what you're doing to a degree, but I trust you so much because you are the only one that's able to take those two things and put them together and make that work. I don't know of anybody else that dropped dead from lying in the book of Acts. Those two did. The church flourished. So there's, there's just some things that you and I have to, have to try to comprehend the best we can, but the one thing we do have to do and getting to the application points now, the gospel that we protect, Jesus and this, this idea of sin, this sin question that has to be answered and was answered by him. We have to, if, if that gospel goes astray, if that gospel is changed, if that gospel is eradicated, then people have absolutely no understanding of how to deal with what they know is going on in their life. Sin is no surprise to anybody. Right? Unfortunately, it comes pretty easy. 
but it goes away basically also in a simple way, and that is through the shed blood of Christ. That's where Abraham was leading with his covenant, to someone who would really, so what was he going to be? He was going to be not just a father to uh, you know, Isaac and Jacob and all the other tribes, but he was going to be the father of nations. He was going to be, his, his offspring would be as vast as the stars in the sky. Why? Because at some point, the promise of his covenant was going to be someone who expanded this idea of forgiveness and repentance and salvation to a much broader picture than Israel. He loves them. He loves us. So that has to be protected. We cannot and never be cavalier, never cavalier about the commission of sin, ever. It's serious. Surely there's forgiveness, but there has to be obedience and trust. What does Paul say about grace? We understand grace is unmerited favor. It's something that I get that I don't deserve. What does he say about if grace grows, if grace abounds, then do we sin all the more? It says that in Romans. What an interesting phrase. Because grace abounds, then does sin abound? Can we sin all we want? Because we know there's forgiveness in grace. What's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 say? By grace you are saved through faith. It is a gift. It's not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. I did nothing to earn this. And I will not, you and I should not, ever be so cavalier that we would say, ah, no big deal. Grace covers it all. By no means, he says. And finally, we must always remember that trust and obedience is equally as important in victory as much as it is in defeat. That's a good lesson for us to learn. When things are going well, God should never go on a shelf. The obedience to him and trust in him has to be just as strong at that time as it does when things aren't going so well. So it's a, I hope that you've understood, I guess, my frustration in dealing with this passage. Not necessarily frustration, but just more trying to understand a little bit more about who it is that I serve and who it is that I've given my life to. And sometimes that he has a message for me that's pretty strong and one for you as well. I hope somehow we've wrestled with some of that. And as you spend time this week now in prayer, just say, Lord, I am not sometimes who I think I am. I am not sometimes who I think you think I am. And so my victories and defeats, my victories and defeats, I, sometimes you just want to say, Lord, you know, take me home. You know, this, is, this has been enough. <laughs> but obviously it's not. We're still here. But what does he want to do in you? What does he want to do in me? He wants us to be not only obedient, but he wants us to be faithful. How that exhibits itself this week for you, if it does, write it down. Keep a diary of how God works in situations in your life. Like I said, I don't know where Achan is today. I am not God in that sense. I would never judge somebody to damnation when God may not have done that. Sometimes God spares us by taking us out of this world. So I'm not going to even pretend to understand or to know that question. It's not for me to know. But what I do know is that I do not want to presume on God's grace. I want him to not just Love me, but control me. <laughs> we all need that, right? We all need that. But let's pray that way as we close today. 
just that God would, would take this kind of difficult chapter in a book that, wow, I don't know, there's a lot more coming in Joshua, I guarantee it. There's some things that just blow your mind. But we want to pray that God just takes his word. What does he say? The word is sharp. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Only the word can dissect us and discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Right? So victory is ours. We have already, in that sense, we have won that victory. Because we didn't earn it in the first place. Jesus did. But as his children... That's where our part comes in. So let's pray that God just takes this and uses it as he sees fit. And that uh, even here in this little church that we serve and we love and we partake in, that we would have that same attitude that Joshua should have had for the entire nation of Israel. That we will not let anything come in that would distort the actual message of what Jesus has accomplished for us. That's why we celebrate communion. Remember. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you so much, Father, for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, that you have protected us even this week in ways that we have no idea how you did that. There are things that you have accomplished in our life, Father, that we can't give you praise for because we don't even know that you protected us from them. And Lord, as we look at history, as we look at events that take place that take place thousands of years ago, the lessons are so real and so true to us still today that if we submit ourselves to obey in those areas where we know we should be obedient and that we would not presume in any way to be at all cavalier about your grace or your mercy or the pain that your son suffered because of us. I pray right now, Father, that you would take every heart in this room, mine included, that you, Father, would, would just kind of squeeze it to, to bring about something that causes us to really think about what it is that makes us so unique to be part of your family. We thank you for the victories that have, that have taken place even this week. I pray for those defeats that, Father, have caused pain or that cause sorrow, that cause disbelief, whatever it is, Lord. I pray that you'd take those and you would cast those as far as the east is from the west. You are a holy God, and we acknowledge that. So thank you for your son. And everybody said, Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.